welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. In fact, my hope is that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus, which provides working parents with support to combine big career dreams with young children. To get access to our free events, to our resources and further options of support, sign up on leadersplus.org forward slash newsletter. Today I talk to Paul Morgan Bentley. We talk about what he and his husband have gained from parenting equally, how it meant that both of them could progress their career, and about the research for his book, The Equal Parent, that shows it is not biologically determined that the mother should be the primary carer in a hetero relationship. I really enjoyed my conversation with Paul. I hope you do too. So I'm Paul Morgan Bentley. Usually for work, I'm head of investigations at the Times newspaper. So I work on investigative projects for the Times. I'm a journalist. Um, I've also written a book called The Equal Parent, which is all about fathers taking greater responsibility for parenting, taking an equal share of the responsibility of parenting, because I really found after becoming a father myself mm. that while obviously we expect and try to, to attain equality at work, there didn't seem to be the same expectation at home. And very much the expectation was always that a mother would be at the appointments with a newborn baby, all those kinds of things. And so as a result, I wrote the book, The Equal Parent, looking into the kind of science of whether men can, in fact, be parents with equal responsibility fully, and looking at different conditions in society and within homes that kind of prevent that happening. And my, my family setup is, there's me, there's my husband, Robin, um, and our son, Solly, who is now three and a half. And we also have a puppy, Eddie, a Cavapoo. Lovely. Puppy, very important to mention. When you did the research and the digging into the science for the book, what was the thing that surprised you most? I think there's a lot of discussion around maternal instincts. And it is the case that usually mothers respond quicker to babies when they're crying at night and that you know you hear those cliches about you know why does the mum always wake up first and things like that and there is that question about is there a kind of biological barrier to men being fully equal as parents and the traditional thinking is that yes dads can kind of be hands-on they can be helps but they can't fundamentally feel those same things that a mother does after going through pregnancy and childbirth and actually the science is really really interesting and there's kind of two main parts of the science that that i found completely fascinating and that kind of the spoiler is absolutely seem to show that with the right conditions actually men totally are capable of having those same reactions to babies and the first really significant finding is around the hormone oxytocin which is kind of referred to as the love hormone. And women often get a surge of oxytocin through pregnancy and childbirth. And actually what really surprised scientists is that when they measured the oxytocin levels in new fathers, they very soon, in lots of cases, reached the same levels as new mothers, even though they hadn't gone through pregnancy and childbirth. This didn't happen when fathers were absent. 
And it was it was all about the interaction with a baby. So by holding a baby, by feeding a baby, by having a baby on your chest, all that kind of day-to-day interaction causes your oxytocin to rise, whether you're a man or a woman. So men, just by being there and actually actively doing parenting, they got the same levels of that kind of new parent hormone that mothers automatically get. And then the second finding, which was incredibly significant that scientists have made in the last few decades, is they've scanned new parents' brains. And they try to answer this question of why do mothers seem to wake up first at night? If men also have the same hormone reactions, if they're around, why aren't they waking up as quickly? The key part of the brain here is uh, the amygdala, which is at the back of the brain, two parts. And when they scanned new parents' brains, usually the mother's amygdala was four times the size of the new father. And the amygdala is all to do with kind of anxiety and reaction and reactivity and you know if your baby's crying an enlarged amygdala means you're going to like hear it you're not sleeping as deeply so it kind of confirmed all those kind of cliches in a sense about mothers waking up first and responding to their babies quicker Um, however more recently the same scientists scanned the brains of gay fathers through surrogacy and what they found is when they looked at the brains of the primary carer in whichever couple or you know whoever's really taking the most responsibility for that baby their brains looked like new mothers in that the amygdala was also four times the size and it kind of sounds like an incredible thing and and it's not that gay men have some kind of superpower that straight men don't have it's just that by there not being a mother there someone has to step up and take the responsibility. And it's it's that same feeling that you get when you've got an exam the next day or you've got a presentation to give and you can't really sleep. And if you're lying there in bed next to the new mother, your partner, you might be fully engaged. But if deep down somewhere subconsciously you think this is a bit more her responsibility, the baby was in her body, you do sleep better. Your amygdala is not as big. But with the right conditions, actually, men, their brains can change as well. There's nothing biological that's stopping men taking this full responsibility as parents. Mm. That's absolutely fascinating. And have you seen in your research any difference across cultures about the role that men play in child rearing or bonding with their children? There's massive variation. It's often to do with policies. So the key period here is the first few months, the first year of a baby's life, which set the patterns for the rest of your time as a parent, or you know, the rest of your child's life. And in the UK, typically men only get two weeks paternity leave and then go back to work. And if you think about that science, you know, they're around at the beginning. But what typically happens is they're kind of a helper to the mum. They're not taking full responsibility. Their amygdala is not changing. They're not responsive in the same way. In Nordic countries, typically there there is kind of use it or lose it paternity leave. So whereas in the UK, there's the policy of shared parental leave, where in theory, there's a quality where you get 12 months and you can share it between a couple if you want irrelevant of your gender or your sexuality. In reality, very few men take it because it requires taking some of the woman's leave away from her. My husband and I, Robin and I, it worked very well for us because we just split it down the middle and did six months each. But lots of new mothers don't want to do that. But in a few different Nordic countries, Iceland, Sweden, to name a couple, there's use it or lose it leave. And that means that if you're a father, you get a certain amount of leave and you can either take it or not take it. You don't take away from your partner's entitlement by taking your own. And what's happened is, for instance, in Iceland, by having this policy, about 30% of new fathers take 
30% of all parental leave is taken by fathers versus before this policy about 30 years ago, it was virtually no new fathers took this time. And and that change is really extraordinary because a new generation of fathers is having extended months and months of time looking after their babies. And that sets the pattern going forward. So I think that is, it's really interesting how policy can make a huge difference in different parts of the world. It is so fascinating. And this reminds me of a podcast I've just recorded with Michelle Harrison. Her organisation has looked at attitudes to female leaders. And interestingly, in Iceland, really high percentage of female leaders. Also, people actually think that females can be leaders, which surprisingly, in the rest of Western Europe, they're really poor attitudes to female leaders. So it's so fascinating to hear that that's also the place where you have really big engagement of fathers. So what do you think is the consequence of the UK having a system that results in only three or 4% of dads taking that share parental leave? Well, it sets the it sets the kind of patterns for what happens. So what what you often hear now is you know you hear dads who are much more engaged than their own fathers were being referred to as hands on dads, and they are really good dads and they're around and they're really doing a lot and they're playing with the kids and they are good dads, but they're not taking full responsibility in the way that the mother is. And you often kind of dads who say that they're babysitting for the day or they go out for the day with the child by themselves and that is kind of something to celebrate but actually the mum is still packing the bag for them and writing them a list of things they mustn't forget to do and things like that and really what you should try and be aiming for if you want to parent with equal responsibility I think is that you as a parent can go and do whatever you want that isn't parenting and not worry about the other parent and when you are on and, and you are taking responsibility, you don't need a list and you don't need anything like that. And I think that comes from having independent parental leave and having those hard moments where you go out without the nappy by mistake and then your kid does a poo and you don't have a nappy and then you never again forget it. Whereas if someone else is packing the bag for you every day, you never learn that lesson. And you also never learn the lesson that you can do it on your own and that you know your baby's screaming for the mum, but actually if you're around, you can soothe them yourself the parental leave period really sets those patterns and it's not like you know i've spoken in writing the equal parent i spoke to lots of experts in this area and scientists at the top universities and they talked about how actually when babies are born in spite of the myths about kind of mother's instinct and things like that most new mothers are scared don't know what to do don't know how to soothe the baby and work it out for themselves and just have to adapt and learn and then because they are the ones doing it, they get better at it. So the baby's used to them soothing them and they gain confidence in doing it. And then if the dad is meanwhile being really helpful and making cups of tea and, you know, burping the baby sometimes, they're always going to feel like they're not as good as their partner at it. And so having that independent period is really, really important, that independent period of parental leave. But if fathers are doing those same things right from the beginning, that sets the patterns for them going forward. And then they can learn their own ways of soothing the baby. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. They can be their own parent and gain confidence and form those really strong bonds with their baby. And it means that then when the year is up and it comes to going back to work, they're much less likely as a couple to decide that it's the woman who has to cut down hours. And, you know, this is where policy comes in again and childcare policy in the UK is terrible. And there's been some announcements recently about potential changes in the future, but in the past, it's been that you get a certain number of free hours at nursery from when your child is three. 
so from parental leave that ends the paid part anyway ends when your child is nine months old until they're three you have no help from the government and so what tends to happen is the mother stays off work or cuts down hours you often hear women saying things like well i couldn't go back to work because my salary didn't cover the nursery fees and my husband and i find that fascinating because it when you approach parenting as a same-sex couple without all the kind of baggage and decades of expectations or years, centuries of expectations around what motherhood means, and you're just two adults without all of that, we just kind of thought, well, let's both stay full-time, but if we're going to cut back, let's both cut down a bit. There was no sense that only one of our salaries had to cover the childcare costs. You know, we looked at our family income and then worked out what was best for us. And it's really interesting how rare that is in heterosexual couples and how that kind of burden often falls on the woman. And if you've set those patterns early that the mum is better at soothing and all those kind of things, then she's the one to cut down hours. By the time your child started school, and if you have a few kids or even two kids, that of course it's no surprise that 10 years later, dads are still being promoted and doing really well at in their careers and becoming leaders. And meanwhile, mums are suffering from this kind of motherhood penalty to their careers. And they've kind of lost out on this time and haven't been able to take promotions and things like that. So I am, I mean, clearly I wrote a book on the subject. So I'm a massive advocate for trying to parent as equally as possible and to do everything that's kind of best for the whole family. But what was in it for you? What, what did you gain from being so engage because waking up at night i mean it's not the nicest thing to do do you know what i love night feeds i think i was a bit weird in that respect <laughs> but, but do you know what it is please come and feed my children at night who are still getting up even though they're not babies anymore <laughs> yeah i wouldn't love it if it was still happening now three and a half years later but i think it was because because we were very much trying to do it equally what we would do is so right from the beginning my husband would do a feed let's say at I think I would do 7pm and then he would do 11pm and then I'd get up at 2am and he'd get up at the next one. But actually, I was going to bed early, so I was getting good chunks of sleep and so was he. So actually, it wasn't the biggest sacrifice. Whereas if you're doing every feed, I can't even imagine doing that. That sounds so difficult. But because straight from the beginning, we were sharing it, it was much more doable. And long term, what we've gained from it is both feeling like we've got strong bonds with our child and neither of us feeling like we've made career sacrifices. And it's tough. I'm, I'm not someone who says it's easy by any means. This week, for instance, my husband is in New York for work for the week and I've had to do everything and we're recording and it's Thursday afternoon and I'm <laughs> desperate for him to come home and he will do everything this weekend. But that's definitely something we found actually long term that it's not about doing 50-50 every day. It's about the kind of intention of doing everything equally. So if one of you has to prioritize work this week, the other one has to pick it up at home and, and then hopefully that balances it out. And we generally start the week looking ahead to decide, right, which one's leaving work early each day to pick up and which person can then, as a result, stay at work and not have to think about coming home and who's doing the drop-offs and make sure it equals out. So it's not easy, but we have certainly felt the benefit of not sacrificing career-wise by balancing it and also both feeling like we haven't missed out on that crucial time with our child. And we had a quick chat just before you came on and you said we really want to talk about the fact that it's a good thing. It's not, it's not a bad thing to have children for your career. Can you say a bit more about that? 
Yeah, I th- I, something that I've really realised in the past few years is the conversation about parents at work is is often about the struggle, and there is a struggle, and about sacrifices. And yes, it does mean that you have to leave work early, sometimes earlier than you would have if you didn't have a child. But I've also seen massive positives from being a parent at work, and I don't think my career has suffered. If anything, actually, I can really see that I'm now much more decisive at work, frankly, because I don't have as much time to dwell on decisions. I have to be decisive. I don't get anywhere near as nervous as I used to before having my son about kind of big meetings or a presentation or doing something kind of quite public. I just, whereas I would have been in bed thinking about it, now I've kind of, by the time you've got them to sleep and you've prepared for tomorrow and then they wake up in the middle of the night or whatever it is, it's a real distraction from anxiety in some ways. You've always got something to do. So I do find that I'm much kind of less intimidated by certain things at work. I feel bolder. And like I said before, more decisive. And I see that in the parents around me at work. And that's by no means saying that you have to have a kid to be decisive and and to be in that kind of mindset. But I personally have definitely seen benefits. And what was the reaction of, of people around you when they saw that you are a same-sex couple, but they suddenly saw that you were extremely engaged, you were running off to pick up a sick child from nursery and so on. What was the response that you got? It's definitely been a learning curve for me in that I've never had anything kind of directly said to me that's been really negative. And I think often you put this stuff on yourself. But if, for instance, if my husband and I are both working in the office on the same day, we both kind of do a mixture of working from home and working from the office. And if we're both in the office, even with the childcare arrangements that we have, and we do as well as nursery, have someone that picks up our son and gives him supper, one of us has to be back by six. And so that means practically that one of us has to leave the office at 4.30, which is much earlier than I ever would have left the office before having, before having a child. And what's interesting is previously, if someone left the office at 4.30, I'd have probably looked at them and thought, oh, what are you going to do? Like, you're sneaking off early. Whereas now I look at the people next to me in the office and think, you're so lucky you get to just focus on that and, be, and not have this other responsibility to think about. But leaving work at 4.30 is, does feel very early to leave. And then obviously you can pick up later. And if there's stuff you still have to deal with, you can deal with it later. And we work flexibly like that. But we, yeah, we we both have to make those sacrifices. And internally, I definitely felt the temptation to be dishonest about it, to be honest, and say, oh, I've got an appointment or I've got uh, a meeting in important contact. Which you are. Very important contact, to be fair. (laughs) Which you are. That is true. Very important contact. I've gained in confidence in just being totally honest and saying, I'm doing pickup today. And I think that is incredibly important and actually probably more important that men do it. Because people expect women after having children to be doing childcare. And people don't often see dads as fathers at work. They just see them as the same. But actually, it helps everyone if we're all just honest about it. And I do want to set an example to the younger people in the office so that if they want to have children, there's someone that they've seen that has done it and hopefully it hasn't affected the career in a way that it might worry about. And I kind of believe in dads being kind of really loud at work about parenting. And that's a real kind of responsibility that men have to themselves, but also to women in the office. Mm, Absolutely. And do you get approached by other men for advice or do they see you as something different in quotation marks because you're in a same-sex relationship? 
No, uh, do you know what's funny is I haven't been approached for advice, but I have almost felt like other dads have come out to me as fathers yet with responsibilities. I've been in a meeting before where because I've been loud about, oh, I need to leave to pick up the kids. They've been like, well, do you know what I do as well? And I usually just kind of creep out. And it's almost like they're confessing to something naughty to me. And I'm like, you're going home to pick up your child. There's nothing shameful about this. And I do think people feel shame about these things at work because you want everyone to think that you're fully engaged all the time and that it's your number one priority. And actually, there's no shame in saying, do you know what, between whatever it is, five and eight or six and eight, every day during the week or half of the week, I do have this other massive responsibility. And that is my priority. And in spite of that, or even because of that, you'll get even more out of me in different ways. And I'm kind of worth having around. And, and you know, what's there to be ashamed of? This is we're bringing up the next generation of children. And if we're going to talk a good game about equality at work, that also means men taking on childcare responsibility. Mm, absolutely. I hope the podcast is really useful to you so far. Feel free to let me know with a LinkedIn message if you have any feedback or suggestions. I wanted to have a quick interruption here to invite you to get involved and become part of the real-life community of people and working parents at Leaders Plus. One way to do so is if you are a senior leader, someone at director or partner level or above, and who have lived experience of combining a big career with young children, I would love it if you would consider applying to be a senior leader mentor to one of our Leaders Plus fellows, our working parents on our fellowship program. To get involved, you go on leadersplus.org forward slash mentors. Likewise, if you are working parents and would like support from one of those amazing senior leader mentors, then you can do so by applying to join our fellowship program. All the details are on our website. At the moment, applications aren't open yet, but if you register interest, so leadersplus.org forward slash register interest, we will then send you an email once the applications are open. You'll get obviously senior leader mentor, you get a really inspirational, tight-knit support group, a small support group of other working parents, and you get structured support and time to think through a world-class facilitator. And also, I'll have a chance to get to know you hopefully throughout the program. Any questions or any suggestions, let me know. Also, there are lots of free events on the Leaders Plus website if you want to get involved in those. I have this picture in my mind of an investigative journalist and it may or may not be linked to the reality. So I'm imagining that you have to go off and meet secret contacts in bars late at night. And <laughs> if <laughs> any of that is true, and I presume some of it is quite quite fast paced as well. And in I reality, just wonder, I'm just doing bath time and uh... is it? <laughs> 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 but but I'm still thinking how do you how do you balance if any of that is true how do you balance it go on do you know what that that kind of image is quite an old-fashioned one actually it's not true all right great I learned something well no there's there's a bit of that I mean the the reality is there's not as much of that because obviously there's modern communication and just kind of I guess that's kind of a Hollywood image of that kind of profession that in the reality it doesn't really exist certainly and not in my case really what does happen with me is that I'll be working on a project for a long time and I can be quite flexible. And then when it comes closer to publication, it gets incredibly intense and incredibly busy. And then I might have to be working till one or two in the morning every day. And I have to be in the office a lot. And it's very difficult for me to be doing childcare during those days. 
But with my husband and I, we've come to this agreement basically where it works out because then he'll have these weeks like this week where he's in New York. We arrange it or we try as as well as we can to arrange it so that we're not both having really intense periods at the same time. Sometimes it doesn't work and we do have intense periods at the same time and then we somehow get by. And you know what? We sometimes say things that we never would have said before at work. Like, you know what? Even though this is going on, I'm working from home today because it's the only way it works. And I think it's really important to just be confident about that stuff. And people feed off that confidence. And as long as you're doing your job and doing it well, then no one should have any grounds for complaints. And you and your husband, was it always really clear that you were going to approach child rearing in a way that you do as equal parents? I, did you have your book in your head already or is it something that you worked out along the way? It's definitely something we worked out along the way or actually we didn't even have to think about. And I think this is really interesting because when I've spoken to other same-sex couples, they say really similar things, at least lots of them do, which is that when you're approaching something as just two adults and you take gender out of the equation, nothing else really makes any sense. Unless one of you really desperately wants to give up your career to be doing childcare full time, in which case, fine, do what's best for you. But we never really, and this might seem kind of mad to some people, particularly women who have probably anticipated parenthood and thought all these things through for years, but we really didn't plan massively ahead. We had our son through surrogacy and that took a huge amount of planning and was quite a long process. And we definitely thought through parental leave and how we were going to split that. And then we just we decided we were going to carry on working full time and we'd work it out. And if we were going to cut back hours, we would both cut back some hours. But we haven't needed to do that in the end. But as modern as certain people think they are or kind of are, when it comes to having children, lots of people are transported to this much more traditional existence. And suddenly, just because someone's a woman and just because she's the one that's been pregnant and given birth, there is this expectation that if anyone sacrifices career, it's her. And listen, if that's what you want to do, then great. But if it's not what you want to do, I think it might be quite a useful exercise to think if we were two men, what would we do? Or if we were two women, if gender wasn't an issue here, would I be assuming that I'd be cutting down hours and making that sacrifice? Or would we be sharing this responsibility, properly sharing it? And not just being a hands-on parent as the other parent, but really sharing the responsibility. And so to us, it kind of, it wasn't even a discussion, to be honest. I think we both just assumed that we would both take on the responsibility and it's actually interesting that even me asking the question did you have a discussion assuming in order to get to this equal setup you have to have a discussion the default is that one person takes the lead and the other one is the supporter why do you think this happens because i can recognize what you're speaking about i see it so often you you're feminist you're both you know the man and the woman in a hetero relationship say yes we are feminist and then suddenly by coincidence it is the woman who is the primary childcare. What's happening there? It creeps up on you. Lots of people say that. And I think there's so many things around us that cause that to happen. And partly, of course, biology is important. And if the woman has carried the baby and has given birth, of course, she's going to take the time off work immediately afterwards, partly for recovery. There's also breastfeeding if women are breastfeeding. And that's why I think kind of independent parental leave is really important. Because dads, if they're going to take it and split the year, they'll do it from six months. And it may be that in that first six months, it's inevitable that the mum is the primary parent and she's breastfeeding and she's forming that slightly closer bond. But if you do, six months is a really good time for dads to take over, in my opinion. Weaning, 
there's some how many if you think about how many kind of heterosexual couples you know that have children how many of them does the dad take the lead in weaning or even do it equally it's still very rare but that's not a biological thing you don't need a uterus to process a carrot and mash up a, a pear anyone can do that and we found that actually a massively beneficial thing when i took the first 6 months of parental leave and then my husband took the second 6 months and weaning was a real opportunity for him to kind of take responsibility for something primarily and kind of gain confidence in that and actually we've really seen how those initial responsibilities have shaped us as parents and we've only reflected on this kind of in writing the book i started reflecting on it and we were discussing it but he's still the one that is much more on top of the food shop during the week what food even now, you know, our son at nursery, what packed lunch he's having, he usually makes that. And I think that's because he he took control of weaning, whereas I was kind of much more in control in the first six months. And that was all about schedules and getting him to sleep through the night and things like that. And I'm still the one that kind of worries more about that kind of stuff. And, oh, no, he's in the car at five o'clock and he's going to have a nap and then he won't go to sleep later and it will affect his sleep. And yeah, I think it comes back to that science and the amygdala the back of the brain, which is like, what was the stuff that stopped you sleeping that really got under your skin and made you feel anxious? And that carries through with you. And also kind of breastfeeding is obviously significant. But in reality, there's lots of women that don't breastfeed or there's lots of women that don't do it after six months. But And everyone will do what they want to do. But I also, I do think even if you're breastfeeding, expressing sometimes so that your partner can have those moments of feeding from a bottle and holding the baby on their chest are really important for them as well. And it's important kind of as a parent to have those moments, if you can. I think, yeah, that is so true. So I have breastfed all my children very long, mainly because it took such a lot of work to try to get it started. And then once it was started, it was brilliant because I could lie down and do nothing. And it was... And you didn't have to make bottles and sterilize them. That is really annoying, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But I do think there was an unintended side effect of I ended up being the main carer while they still were quite dependent on the breast. And they were, for some reason, longer dependent on the breast than I expected. Up until the year, they would all the time want to feed. So I think that was an unintended side effect. Do you have any tips for how you can have an equal parenting approach when you're breastfeeding, or is it just all hope lost? This isn't something, obviously, that I experienced, but in writing the book, I I interviewed lots of other parents and and something that some dads do that I think is great is even if their partner's breastfeeding, they would sometimes do nights on and nights off. So on a night that the father was on, the baby cries, he's the one that gets up, he brings the baby to the mum who's still in bed, she breastfeeds the baby, he then picks up the baby burps the baby, changes the baby, puts the baby back to sleep. So it's like this idea that just because you're the one breastfeeding, that doesn't mean you have to do all the other things that come with being the new parent of a baby. There are other things you can do. And part of that is the mental load, which is when the baby cries, I'm the one that has to get up tonight, even though I'm not the one breastfeeding. So I do think that's quite a good idea. And I can see why that works for some people. Mm-hmm. True. And looking at it from the perspective of employers, we know that the legislation needs to change for, from a government perspective, but also a lot of employers at the moment are paying enhanced maternity leave, which is fantastic, or adoption leave, and then but aren't paying enhanced share parental leave, or even encouraging their dads to to take share parental leave in other ways. 
Do you have any arguments why employers should encourage that to, to take share apparently it's a good thing for society but is there anything in it for them yeah i think there is i think at the moment there's lots of employers particularly in the kind of finance industries that talk about how they want to address the gender pay gap and how that's so important to them and actually when you look at the data often there does seem to be equality in at the same level what people earn irrelevant of what their gender is or the sex is but what they talk about is there being a kind of seniority gap because fewer women go into the leadership roles, that causes the gender pay gap. And why do they think that happens? When you have a set of conditions that mean women are less likely to continue with their careers after having a baby, that's what causes that gap in seniority, which causes the gender pay gap. And so, you know, firstly, it's the right thing for them to be doing if they genuinely believe in gender equality, which all of them say they do. Secondly, I can totally understand why in the short term companies are worried that we already are offer enhanced to mums. And if we offer the same to fathers, that's even more people who are taking time off. Aviva, the insurance company, is quite a good case study. They equalized their parental leave policy. So it doesn't matter what your gender is. You can take a certain number of months full pay. I'm not going to say what it is because I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what it is. I don't want to get it wrong. But it's equal. And when I spoke to them, what they said was, firstly, They haven't seen any negative impact uh, productivity-wise. It's obviously very hard to work out productivity as a whole business, how it's affected. But since they've had this policy, they've had a huge take-up and it hasn't negatively affected things. The other thing they said, which was really interesting, is that if you hire someone from a rental leave cover, by the time they're up to scratch, it takes a few months. And you have to pay, let's say, a recruitment agency fee. And actually, they found that it doesn't make any sense financially. They just kind of fill the holes within the teams and it seems to work out okay and they haven't seen a negative impact there. And what they really believe in is investing in their staff long-term. So it means they're more likely to stay. And and the women who are there, who are excellent employees and will become excellent leaders, end up, because they've invested in them, they stay long-term. And so, listen, they're a big company. So they're able to do it. I think it's much more challenging when you're a small company. And that's why I definitely think there's much more companies should be doing. It should be, all their policies should be equal. It shouldn't be relevant what your gender is. But actually, I do think it's more important that the government funding is much better because also what we don't want to have is a kind of two-pronged system where you get, you know, if you're in a really good finance job as a dad or as a mum, you are able to share it, you're more likely to have equality in your relationship, and that's great. But if you work in a factory somewhere, then you're never going to get it because they don't offer these schemes. And at the moment, that kind of disparity is happening where you have kind of in Canary Wharf, (laughs) parents have more equality, but across the country, you don't. So I think it comes first from the government, and the government's almost been quite clever in shifting the responsibility to companies. But having said that, I do think it should just be an equal policy for companies. Mm. And if they can do it, not just having an equal policy, but saying that parents, if they want, can take the leave, they don't have to take it from when their child's born. And that's really crucial for dads because of the research, which shows that the dads are taking the parental leave at the same time of the mums, they'll always remain helpers to the mum. If they take it, let's say from six months to 12 months, and the mum's gone back to work, they're much more likely to take on that primary sense of responsibility and be able to share the responsibility long term. Mm, absolutely 
I want to ask you, what, if anything, have you learned about gender that you didn't know before from your journey as, as a dad? I think something that really shocked me in writing The Equal Parent was research into the effect of gender stereotypes on children and how, how these ideas, we see it all around us, but, but when you look in the academic research, it really is quite depressing. And this is what kind of sets the tone that means girls are more likely to assume that they will have to take on these roles as mothers and boys are less likely to assume that they will have to take on these responsibilities. There was research that always stays with me from New York University where they were measuring a crawling ability of children. And initially the study wasn't about gender stereotypes, but the results were so stark that that became the focus. And what happened was the mothers who were studied, they set up a kind of ramp for the babies to crawl down and they were assessing how well they crawled down it, but also whether whether they were brave enough to try. And the mothers of boys were much more likely to assume they'd be braver and that they would do better at the crawling than the mothers of girls. Even though at 11 months, there's no difference in crawling ability according to your sex. And that just, I found that so depressing, the idea that subconsciously, we don't even realizing it, but we're underestimating girls physically when they're babies. And on the other hand, you're kind of overestimating what you think boys can do. And then we see it in clothing that kids wear. And still so many stores have boys clothes and girls clothes. And we often have this where our son likes colorful clothes and the boys sections are never that colorful. And you um, click on the girls section, but then the girls clothes are too small for him. We have to go up to kind of age six or something in the girls section to get a colorful jumper for him, which is ridiculous because they're not particularly different sizes or you see girls clothes that are kind of shaped in a womanly way or you see kind of clothes for babies which would make it impossible for them to crawl and it's literally inhibiting their development and and there are other studies that show that when teachers have more traditional ideas about gender stereotypes they're more likely to write off boys as readers and boys are less likely to do as well at reading if they have teachers that have these traditional ideas about what boys are good at and what girls are good at so we're shaping our children without even realizing it so much. And obviously there are biological differences between boys and girls, but really we shouldn't have any difference in expectations when it comes to what they could achieve or who they could be or what their responsibilities should be when they grow up. Well said. Do you have one thing that you're implementing to try not to instill, well, you're going to instill gender expectations one way or another but to try to mitigate some of those societal expectations of what it's a boy that you said you have or... yeah we, we have a son yeah we very much just want to encourage what he wants to do in a sense and not limit him so if he's in some ways quite a traditional boy in that he's very physical and he loves kind of playing outdoors he loves balls all that kind of stuff and we absolutely encourage that He's just, he's getting quite into a thing called rugby tots, which is like a rugby class for kids. And he loves it. And they do the little hacker at the end. And it's so cute. But he also really likes pink. And if you ask him what his favorite color is, he'll say pink. So equally, we're encouraging that. You know, I don't see the negative consequence to any of this stuff. Like, I think it should be about encouragement and ensuring you're not limiting children rather than I don't think you should be saying to all girls, you're not allowed to wear pink or you're not allowed to wear frilly things and boys, you're not allowed to play football. We should be encouraging them and just making sure they don't feel like just because they're a boy or a girl, that means they can't do something or they can't achieve something. Absolutely. And if people might want to get your book or find out more about your work, where should they go? 
where you can find more about my book, The Equal Parent, on Amazon or Autostones or somewhere like that. But it's if you Google it, you'll find it and you can buy it from Amazon if you want to read it. And please do read it and email me or write a review if if you enjoy it. I love to hear you know what people think because actually since writing the book, readers have got in touch and I'm learning more and more. And it's really interesting hearing people's experiences. And then my work for The Times, again, you can just Google it. Google my name, Paul Morgan Bentley, and you can see the investigations I've worked on for The Times. Fantastic. And we always ask at the very end of the podcast for a practical takeaway. So there were plenty in the conversation. But if someone is listening to this and they are not in an equal parenting setup, do you have any suggestions on small maximum five minute things they could do this week to move towards a more equal setup if that's what they want? So I I kind of, I always think this, which is that if you are the parent that feels like you take on more responsibility, go out and leave them alone with with your child and they won't die, hopefully. Everything will be fine and your partner might do things differently and you might come home and think, oh, it's all a bit messy or, but the ability, I think sometimes that parent has to just let go sometimes. And it's really, really hard. I don't want to kind of sound like it's, it's not hard and I've definitely felt this because I'd done the first half of parental leave and, you know, when Robin, my husband, was then going out for the day with my son and taking him out without me, I'd I'd think to myself, oh, has he got the right things in the bag? And if you're going out, leave it to them and they'll be okay. And they might do things differently to you, but that's how they form those crucial kind of bonds, but also how you learn. You don't learn when someone's writing a list from you. You know, don't write the list leave it to them is definitely, I think, the most important thing. And it makes sense scientifically because it's all about that amygdala, that part of the brain that only kicks in truly if you feel that responsibility. Hmm. If you're going out for dinner, like you don't have to check in every five minutes to see if he's got them to sleep. He'll be all right. And equally, if you're the parent who's taking on less responsibility, get through it without infantilizing yourself like i see this quite often in dads where they have great positions at work and they take on huge responsibility and then suddenly they're saying to their usually female partner oh what does he eat or what do we put in the bag or you know do I, does he need to have cream or just work it out like it's stop kind of assuming that you don't know these quite basic things of course you do so i definitely think the crucial thing is kind of having that individual time and and stepping away and leaving it to the other parents sometimes mm. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening today. I always love hearing from listeners. So if you've listened and enjoyed it, please do connect with me on LinkedIn. I would really enjoy to hear what you thought of the show. I always love having podcast listeners join the fellowship program or getting involved in other ways. So if you're interested in that, then please sign up on leadersplus.org forward slash register interest and we'll keep you in the loop when the applications open again. And thank you so much to all the listeners who've taken time to share the podcast with friends or to rate it on your podcast listening app. In the last few weeks, the podcast listener numbers have really gone up. And that's quite important because at the moment, podcasting is still an area that is really dominated by men, especially if you look at the top charting podcasts. They're often led by men. And I think it just shows that there's another area where we have to push through and create greater equality. And so thank you so much for sharing it and trying to uh, (laughs) give voice to a woman-led podcast. I really appreciate it. See you next week.